Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Praise God, right? How many of y'all needed that worship and that experience? Praise, praise God. Well, I want to welcome everybody to our service. I want to welcome everybody East, West, online, podcast, Future Lake Worth Campus. Am I leaving anybody out? I don't think so. We're glad to have you guys with us and honored to have you. Uh, I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to your app, your Bible, your journal. We're going to dive right in. We've got a lot of stuff I want to move us through today. Uh, and I'm super excited uh, about what we're talking about in this series right now. We are in week four of a series we're continuing right now. We're calling the series Rooted, and we're exploring together as a church family on all of our campuses what it looks like to grow in our faith, and what we're saying is to grow our faith deep and wide. Say that with me, deep and wide. We don't want to just have uh, wide faith. I want us to have deeper faith, too. It was so cool. I got a great picture this week from a couple on our East Campus, Bob and Cindy Hires, they're in South Carolina. She sent me this picture and she said, that looks like deeper faith. See the roots going down there? And she sent that to us. And I, I thought that's really a cool picture. But uh, we are wanting to have a faith that is wide. And here's what I'm thinking when I think about wide faith, a faith that is growing in practice and knowledge and training around the Christian way. I think we would all agree together, this is an important discipline. We want to have a wide faith that we're adding these sort of elements to our faith that help us grow. But we also uh, want to have a faith that is deep, a faith that is rooted against the pressing diseases of our day and our culture, which are so easy to catch. And I'm not even talking about COVID. I'm talking about all this other stuff. I was thinking about this. I want to ask a question. How many of you, when you get home at the end of the day, you have, um, you have your go-to clothes that you put on when you get home, right? Uh, I, you might have different names for them. I call them, we call them sometimes in our house, we call them our soft clothes. Like you just want to get home and you, right? Or they're, they're clothes that you don't mind if you get them messed up. I've got, whenever I work in the yard, I've got an FSU jersey that I wear, doesn't, doesn't matter, doesn't matter what happens to it. I do want to say, I do want to say, but I know that Coach Bowden uh, passed away, went, went to heaven a few weeks ago, and I did reach out to some of my FSU fans, and I said, on this day, a gator is a Seminole. I just want, I did do, I literally did that, that was two weeks ago, so that's over, okay? <laughs> However... So uh, I was, uh, I had a day a, a while back that um, I did not have any meetings, and I was super excited about that. It's kind of rare, and I didn't have any meetings going on, and I, and I was getting dressed, and I, I was going to, uh, most of the day is a study day for me on this particular day, how to open up, and I thought, you know what, I could probably get away with wearing some of my go-to clothes to work, because no one's going to see me anyway, and I put on one of these shirts that that I love this shirt, it's one of my favorite shirts, but when I put it on, it, it has static electricity. How many of you know it's static, right? And I don't know if you know what that is, but here's a picture, here's a picture of static electricity. And I think that's kind of, that's probably kind of a stage picture. Here's one, I don't know if this is stage, but that's, that's sort of static electricity. And I went through the whole day, and you know, I just went through my routine, and I got in my truck at the end of the day, and the sun was coming down through the windows in just this perfect 
you know, kind of stream. And I looked across my shirt and I had collected all this stuff. And uh, this, I, you know, when I got home, Beth was like, you can't ever wear that shirt. That is a stay home kind of a shirt. And I think sometimes our culture is like this. And I think without a plan, without some common sense prevention, we will naturally pick up the diseases and the infections our culture is swimming in right now. I made a list. Maybe you have a list. I think right now our culture is anxious, angry, self-focused, bent on tearing other people down, incredibly opinionated, broken, sin-saturated, grace-lacking, toxic culture. Did I leave anything out? It's all right there. And sometimes it almost feels like that the manifestation of that is like, this is the American way. And here's what I want to say for those of us who love our country, we go, this is not the American way. This is not the American way. And, uh, and, and here's what I know. It's not, it's not the Christ follower way. And so I want to have a conversation uh, a little bit about that today. And, and I thought it would be great if I wanted to read a passage of Scripture to you that is, uh, in many ways, gets right to the heart of this kind of thing. It's, it's one of the older scriptures. Uh, it's out of the Older Testament. It's, it's uh, I think, in one way, might be popular to us. But as we're talking about what it means to live as, uh, our lives rooted in our faith, we can't really talk about that and not uh, do some business with Psalm 1. So I'm going to have our team, we're going to put Psalm 1 on the, state, uh, on the screen. We're just going to read this out loud together as a church family. If you're listening online, we encourage you to do so All, also. Psalm 1, we're going to read it. Ready? Go. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here's an interesting thing to think about with with me for a moment. Scholars tell us that the book of Psalms was the ancient prayer book of God's people. And scholars go on to suggest that, that, uh, that Jesus himself both read and prayed some of the Psalms that we have. And I want you to think about that for a moment, that your, your God, the one you've gathered in this place to worship, has read and prayed some of the, the same words that we just read this morning. I was reading from uh, putting uh, my talk together and reading from uh, one theologian, one author said this, he said, throughout our lives, he said, we all experience a wide range of emotions such as Joy and sorrow, anger, peacefulness, frustration, despair, happiness, anxiety. He went on to say, these feelings don't typically obey carefully construed uh, creeds. He said, music and poetry often seem to be the only way really to fully express these things that happen in our world and in our lives. And he said, if, there, uh, if there's a book that really speaks to this in Scripture, it would be the Psalms. The Psalms speak to human experience or the poetic words of people who offered both their lives and their feelings into the presence of God. It's really true. 
Right now uh, in our church, this is typically a time every year when we focus on what it would look like in your life to, to make some conscious decisions to live life in the community with other people. To resist the pull, uh, we like to say, uh, of isolation and aloneness and to lean into this idea that we've been populating in our culture now for many, many years at Community of Hope, that, that when it comes to living our life, circles are better than rows. And so every single year, uh, part of my responsibility, part of my real, real privilege really is to, is to think of new ways to communicate that value to you. Uh, I asked Kathy this week, who does this kind of work on our team and has been, uh, we've been working together now for many, many years. And, and I said, Kathy, how many, how many people do you think right now do we have, even in, in, in a global pandemic, that are in small groups? And she said, by my best understanding, by my guess, best guess, somewhere between 14 and 1500 people meet in some kind of biblical community connected to community of hope uh, right now in this season. And every year, our challenge toward, you know, when we get to August is to say, hey, this is a value. This is something really important uh, to consider. And in fact, when I think about it, this is the idea that comes to my mind. We don't really want to be a church that just has some groups. We want to be a church, honestly, that is a church of small groups. Notice how I'm saying that that's different. We don't want to just ha- have church and then have some groups. We want to be a church of small groups that everybody is thinking through the value of what it would mean for your life to live in some sort of community that points you toward a deeper and more profound relationship with the living God. And so this year was a bit of a tension because um, normally this is the time we do it. We got to July. What happened in July? All the COVID numbers started going up again. People have sort of pulled back from church. All this... All this kind of stuff is going on, and we were kind of forced with a bit of almost like an existential sort of crisis. Do we, do we hold off and wait to another time, or do we just continue to do it? Because here's what we're noticing. We're noticing record numbers of isolation and anxiety and aloneness just skyrocketing in our culture. And so as a team, we said, you know what? Even though you might not be able to do it yet, and even though this might be something that you're thinking about in the future, once you get feeling better about what's going on, we want to lift up this value and we want to talk about that. I, I was thinking about this recently because um, I think uh, we had an example in our culture recently uh, where we got to see this. How? Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you watched uh, the Olympics? Did any, any of us watch the Olympics? Okay, some of us were able to do that. I, I thought it was kind of interesting because even this year, the Olympics sort of, uh, uh, in a way, became sort of politicized. And I don't know about you, I'm, I'm trying to resist all that. Amen? And so, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting to watch. I, I, we saw some of this kind of pop up with this uh, Simone Biles, and, I, and there was a little controversy. If you don't know about that, Simone Biles, who has dominated her sport, there's her picture. For eight years, she has earned, listen to this, she's earned 30 Olympic medals, 
30 Olympic and world champion medals in her career, which includes medals in four sports, the individual all-around, the vault, the balance beam, and the floor exercises. She is widely considered to be the greatest female gymnast of all time. And earlier this year, she stepped back and walked off the floor at the Olympic Games twice without an injury, and it caused this sort of international stir. Everybody had an opinion about it. Suddenly on social media, everybody's red hot and telling her about it, you know, like that, that it was interesting. In my mind, I'm watching all this go down, and in my mind, I'm thinking of some dude lying on a couch, hasn't exercised in 20 years, eating potato chips, saying Simone needs to toughen up a little bit. Come on, Simone. Get with it. And I'm about you, it just made me angry, you know, kind of a thing. She's already forgotten more than most would know around this idea. So the resist of this pull of, of, of temptation to politicize this, but listen to this. Here's the report that began to emerge. Uh, first, just real quickly about her, she began to experience what she called the twisties, which is a psychological phenomenon that happens to gymnasts when they lose awareness of where they are in the air. That's enough to make you slow down a little. But the story led to a greater story, and this is the illustration I'm pointing to. When all this popped out, here's the thing. Athletes in record numbers began to admit that this year's Olympic Games was twice as hard to do, primarily because there was no one in the audience to cheer them on and to help them persevere. Isn't that interesting? Here's what I want to tell you. And and if we take that illustration just for a moment, and let's just move it over to the faith dynamic for a moment. Your scriptures that you read, if you read the scriptures, tells you that we have in heaven this, this heavenly cloud of witnesses that are cheering you on right now in your faith. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, it might be maybe in heaven right now, maybe it's a great-grandmother, uh, maybe it's a, an aunt, maybe it's an uncle, maybe there's somebody that influenced your walk with Christ and here you are right now showing up, learning how to grow deeper roots. And, and, and the Bible says that, that there are people in heaven that are cheering you on. In fact, if you want a, a, a reference, not the only reference, but if you want a reference for it, uh, you can write down Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Look at what it says. Therefore, The writer says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, here's what's happening. He's referencing these witnesses uh, from the chapter before, Hebrews chapter 11, that's called the Hall of Faith. And all these people cheering you on right now. Here's the question I think should be live in the room right now. Who's your earthly cloud of witnesses? Who are the people that are standing around you right now on earth? cheering you on to grow deeper roots in your Christian faith. For years, my assignment toward the back end of August, I've accepted this assignment, is to, is to implore you, like if I could grab everyone by the shoulders, I know that'd be creepy and weird, but if I could do that, <laughs> I, I, would, I would say, get in a group. Find, find a community that's going to help you grow, that nurtures Christian faith and development. It's interesting that when I read the Psalms today, the psalmist comes from a different angle, and I don't want us to miss it. 
The psalmist really isn't saying, get in a group. Here's what the psalmist is saying. You're already in a group. You're already in a group. The question really becomes, is is the group happenstance? Or is it or is it intentional? You're already in a group, and 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 we, we like to think of it as the company that you're currently keeping. A few years ago, I was meeting with a man in our church who was struggling. In fact, he was struggling in his principal relationship with his spouse, with his wife. And uh, you know, it, it didn't look great when I met with him. And uh, the conversation just sort of unfolded in a way that we talked about that, and then it sort of broadened out a bit to talk about relationships and the value of this kind of topic that we're looking at right now. And, and he asked me, it was funny, he said, can you, can you tell me some, just some real quick basic ideas that when you think about our relational world, like what are your... Like, what are your things that go through your mind? He said, because I've known you long enough to know that's how you, your mind works. So tell me. And uh, I, I thought about this for this message because some of the younger folks in our church, they don't call me Pastor Dale. Do you know what they call me? They call me P. Diddy. So I want to share with you, in fact, I've named it this. I think we, we, we have it. I want to talk to you about P. Diddy's assumptions about relationships, and I want to give them to you. There's... There's some that I want you to write down. Here's my first one. Number one, we've been created to live in relationship with one another. We've been created to live in relationship with one another. The presupposition is already there that you are doing relationships already. The question to be sure is whether or not the ones in your life are are by choice or by happenstance. When you go back to the book of Genesis, you've heard me say this before, and it talks about when God created humankind, there's this powerful verse that says, God says, let us create, look at, let us create humankind in our image. Do you hear the plural language there? That is because we worship a triune God. We worship a God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Like when the team is putting together worship, sometimes they're, they, they look at it through that lens. Let's sing to the Father. Let's Let's sing to the Son. Let's, let's sing to the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a triune, one God, three distinct personalities. It's a triune, triune God. I, I was reading uh, a while back in this, this called the Journal of Happiness Studies. This is interesting. It says this, Using the tools of research to identify what makes human life flourish, When researchers look at what distinguishes happy people from less happy people, the one factor that consistently separates the two groups, it's not how much money you have, it's not even your health, it's not your security, your relative attractiveness, your IQ, or your career success. It is the presence of rich, deep, joy-producing, life-changing, meaningful relationships. We have been created by God to live in right relationship with other people. And those relationships rub off on us in a way that point us toward better or point us toward worse. It's just true. When uh, I think about this, the whole idea that we're created that way, 
Um, another thing that comes to my mind is this presupposition. I want to give it to you. It's that relational success is never guaranteed, nor is it natural. It has to be learned. Relational success is never guaranteed or natural. It has to be learned. I was thinking about this. You think about a little baby, that beautiful, precious, defenseless, new little one. They're all so beautiful. It's a little tiring season, but they're all just so beautiful and so wonderful. And then they turn two. (laughs) And something happens, right? Uh, I was reading about, I don't know if I've ever shared this, uh, this thing called the toddler property laws. I don't know if you've ever heard this. Let me, here it is. If it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a while ago, it's mine. If I saw it first, even, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> that's that's kind of how this thing goes. This is an example of what the authors call our sin nature. We, we have to learn how to do relationships. The only way that we learn that is in relationship with other people. Uh, this is what scholars point to and say, this your sin nature is kind of wrapped up in this. I have, I have a... Beth's nephew, I have a nephew that when, when they had their first child, this beautiful little boy named him Walker. And we just love Walker. I mean, everybody's infatuated with Walker. And I was out there, we were out there visiting Beth's family one time in Texas. And Walker was very little, and, and he was going through this season whenever you would pick the baby up, you know, they're getting to be one or two or whatever that is. And he, they don't want to be picked up, right? They don't want you to touch them. And so he picked up his son, and, and, and Matt was telling me, he goes, I picked him up. He didn't want to, he didn't want to be held. And then I just saw this almost like in slow motion. I saw this look on his face that he just transitioned right in front of me, got this mischievous look on his face and he head butted me right in the mouth. <laughs> Boom. Just like on purpose. And he said, I said, what did you do? He said, first of all, I called my wife into the room and I said, I just watched Walker commit his first sin. There it is, like right there. You know, he saw the look on his face and then he punched him in the mouth, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, this, is, this is something that has to be learned. This is what it means to live in our flesh. There's got to be another way. It points to another way. And this is where today's psalm comes in. And psalm, the psalm comes in in this next uh, presupposition, and here it is. The most important relationship decision you will ever make depends on who you place around you. The most important decision, relational decision you will ever make, is the people that you put around you. Now, sometimes as adults, we pretend that's only for younger people. How many of us would be willing enough to be strong enough, courageous enough to go, adults need to hear that? We need to hear it. Sometimes over and over again. When I was growing up, I had a friend of mine that every time, I, it took me a while, I was kind of young and dumb. Not everybody's young and dumb. I was more young and dumb. And uh, every time I was with my friend, it took me a while to realize every time I was with him, and he would say, I have an idea. <laughs> that, that, that every time I acted on his idea, my dad was somehow tethered into the end of that experience of my friend's good idea. It took me a while to put those two things together. 
The psalmist says it this way, y'all. The psalmist says in Psalm 1-1, blessed is the one, happy is the one, contented is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take uh, or, or, or sit in the company of mockers. And, and he gives us this, this natural progression where, he, where the writer says, walk, stand, sit. Walk, stand, sit. And he's communicating the idea that when we're already walking on the wrong path, then we stand in alliance with somebody, and it won't be long before we're sitting ourselves, immerse, uh, sitting down, immersing ourselves, working and conspiring together around the bad idea. This is what the psalmist is wanting us to understand. So this is kind of what I want to say. My, my whole tack this year is, is not to say, get in a group. Here, here's my tack. You're already in a group. Take a moment and think through the group. Is the group pointing your life where you want your life to go? And what courageous decision would you be willing to make if it isn't? This is such a powerful, powerful imagery. In fact, the psalmist says there, there are two paths that line up around this one is certainly the path. Let's look at the the, the worst one first. There's a path of death. In verse 4 or 5, it says, Not so the wicked, they're like chaff, the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Chaff, which is something worthless, something easily blown away. Nothing noble remains. Or there's life. And the psalmist says in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 1, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on His law day and night, those are the people, those are the people that are like trees planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's a picture of a flourishing life it's a picture of communal life, relational life. Uh, one of the things, many of you all know, like this summer, Beth and I did, we went to a couple national parks way out west. And I made a commitment. I said, I, I am not going to bore our congregation with endless pictures of what we did in the national parks, except for this one picture <laughs> that I want to show you. And when we were out in the Grand Tetons, I want to show you this picture. What a stud, by the way. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> when we were out in the Grand Tetons, we, we learned about this, this group of people that left Salt Lake City uh, in 1892, and they traveled west to, to establish a community out there. It's, it's called Mormon Row now, I think. And there's another house. I think there's another picture. That's a crazy picture, isn't it? That, that when we were there, um, they traveled out, and there were 27 families that went together. And they survived. They were among the first to enter into this land, first white people to enter into this land. And they, were, and they survived. And the only reason they survived, y'all, listen, is they did it together. Everybody else who homesteaded out did not survive. Everybody that did it in isolation didn't make it. And when I heard this story, I thought this is an absolute story of of the, the sheer possibility 
of, of doing well in life basically because you have people around you you're doing life with. Now, that leads me to one other idea, one other presupposition I want to give you that I think is important. I've given you three. I have learned in my own life that a relationship with Jesus Christ is the single best decision and holds the best chance to experience a flourishing life. And I want to tell you why I believe this, and then we'll be done. There's a verse of Scripture in John chapter 1, verse 14. We, we normally only look at it at Christmas time. And, and the verse says, you know, the Word became flesh. And this Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. Here's what I've learned in my own life. Maybe you're learning this too. I need both of those things operationally in my life, and I can only get them from Jesus and, and, and people who are moving in that kind of relationship together. Here's, here's the thing. How many of you would say you have an area in your life right now, I, you just need grace? I need grace. I'm striving. This is an area where you know I'm wanting to get this right. I'm not there yet. I need grace. We all have areas in our life where we need grace, but here's what I want to tell you. We, too, all have areas in our life where we need truth. And I, I'm going to go first. I won't even put it on you. I, I don't need just grace in every area of my life. There are some areas in my life where, where I need people who are going to put their arms around me and go, stop, don't, start, quit, step back, lean in. And Jesus was the embodiment of grace and truth. And when I, when I put myself into communities that are honoring Jesus, that are welcoming His grace and truth into their lives, and I can offer and welcome that into my life, something changes in my life. This is what we're talking about. And in the coming weeks, you're going to have an opportunity to make some commitments about that. And here's the deal. I pray you do. For many of us, honestly, this is... This is the game right here. Choose wisely. Lord, I I pray for my friends right now. I pray for all of us listening online or in this room. And I would pray, God, in this weird season where there is an overwhelming temptation for us to live lonely, isolated lives that you would, even with a global pandemic, point us toward another way. Point us toward you. Remind us, oh God, your promises are still there. Remind us, oh God, right now that it is so important that we surround ourselves with people who will help us aspire to be the people you've created us to be. God, we lay this before you as a prayer. Give us the courage to put feet and heart and will toward it. For we pray in the name of Christ, who is our Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, what a beautiful picture of who you are. A picture that is so clearly seen within the pages of Holy Scripture. Lord, in this moment, I pray for all of my friends. 
I pray for all of us here, all of us listening, God, who are in these spaces right now where we're trying to, as best we can, live lives of faith in moments of disease and chaos and turmoil. God, remind us in this place that one of the ways you manifest your spirit, one of the ways you get your work done toward us is literally in the context of a community of people striving after you as we strive after you. God, I pray that you would remind us and show us that this is part of the Christian experience and all of us must come to a place where we step into that truth. And Lord, in this space and in this moment, we we just want to say thank you that you see us. My sense is there are people in this room and listening online, God, just to know that, to know that you're real, that you're there, that you see us, that you stand with us in these painful, awkward, happy, joyous, conflicted moments called life. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus who is our Lord and everyone said, amen. Praise God. Praise God. Go from this place with the grace and the hope found in Jesus that it would be yours to spread to those around you. We'll see you next weekend. Praise God.